This podcast is presented by Convene. In 2009, Sebastian Terry decided to put pen to paper and recreate a list of 100 things he wanted to accomplish in his life. His goal was to take off everything. It was the start of a crazy adventure that sees Sebastian travel to the ends of the earth on a quest to prove that anything is possible, including true fulfillment. What started as one man's journey to find purpose in life has grown into a global movement of people chasing their dreams and helping others to do the same. Sebastian is now a best-selling author, famed motivational speaker, and TV host. In our recent salon discussion with Sebastian, we'll learn how to refine our life's purpose and create our own life wish list to give more meaning to our lives. Hi, how, I don't need a microphone. How are you? Good, excellent. Um, well, that's my bio. That's pretty much my talk, so thank you. Uh, no, I'm Seb. You can call me Seb if you like. I have this story of 100 things um, that I'm trying to do to be happier in life. It's, it's a bit of an odd one, but I can take you through the story if you're, if you're open to it. Um, I'm not from here, as you can probably tell from my accent. Um, I flew here, and on every plane that I get, they'll say this, in case of an emergency, oxygen mask will fall from the ceiling. But then they say, please put yours on first before helping others. And it's interesting, because I, I, don't, I don't think many people listen to it, but it's, it kind of promotes this idea of being selfish and that being the first step to being selfless. And the more I think about it, it kind of reflects my journey very much so. My emergency happened when I was 24 years old. I'd finished high school in Sydney in Australia, and I didn't know what to do. And I had a chat to my career advisor, and he said that I needed to uh, get, get a degree. I needed to go to university and get a degree. So I did. I just didn't question it. I just went. Three and a half years later, $19,000 of debt. Um, I had this degree in something. I had no idea what it was, but I had it. And at graduation, everyone around me was so happy. And I remember just feeling really lost and really underwhelmed. And I became quite curious about, well, what, what is important in life? If this doesn't mean anything to me, what, what does? So at that point in my life, I thought I'll go backpacking. So I did. I traveled around the world backpacking, various countries, various continents, just drifting until I was 24. And one night, I stopped very suddenly. Um, that night, I got a phone call from a friend of mine back home and uh, he delivered the news to me that one of my very close friends had died. Um, very suddenly, very tragically, very accidentally as well. Um, and the news rocked a community back on the northern beaches of Sydney. And it stopped me in my tracks in Canada at 24. And I didn't know what to think or what to do. I asked all those questions. Why am I here? What am I doing, etc. But the more I thought about it, the more confused I became. Then I remember thinking, well, what if Chris, my friend, who had passed away, what if he had another opportunity at life, if he had another 24 years, because we were 24? Would he live the same way? Or, with another chance, would he change everything? And I thought about that question, and I didn't get to ask him that, of course, but I don't think he would have changed a thing. Chris really lived a life that reflected everything that he loved. He loved the beaches, he loved sports, he loved his friends, he loved family, he loved having a beer. He was a big kid, and rightly or wrongly, by anyone else's code, he lived a life that was very reflective of his values, of his principles. A life far too short, but one that was really well lived. I then turned that question on myself at 24 in Canada, and I simply thought, well, if today was my last day on earth, could I look back at my life and say the same thing? That I was proud of everything that I'd done up to now and that I was going along the right track. It was a very confronting thought. I'd never thought about it before. And it took me a split second to realize that I was really unhappy. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know my values. I didn't know my principles. I didn't know what it was that I stood for. And I thought, well, that's no good. H how do I change that? I'm really unhappy. And I thought, well, I'll just create a list of things that will make me smile if I try them. 
And that was the beginning of this list. One thing went to 10, to 20, to 50, to 100 things on this bit of paper. And I thought, well, if this is truly an opportunity for me to become happy, I want to prioritize this in my life. And so right then and there, I dropped everything in my life to pursue this odd list. Now, the first thing I wanted to do on this list, and, and you're going to laugh, and you're going to judge me, and that's fine. Um, I always wanted to marry a stranger in Las Vegas because it's, it's completely legal, right, um, in this country of yours. It's fantastic. Yeah. Long story short, I, I met a stripper mud wrestling, and her name was Crystal. And it was. It was actually her name. And I proposed to her, and she said yes. Um, so I, I, I booked a, a, a wedding chapel, the Say I Do Wedding drive through All these people turned up. Um, not, I didn't know any of them. They just thought it'd be funny, which it was, until one person who was crucial to this ceremony didn't turn up, and that was, of course, Crystal. Crystal stood me up at the altar, which, which, uh, which wasn't funny, I didn't think. But um, So I thought, well, how do I create an opportunity here? Because I don't want to just be left red-faced at the altar. So I looked down at the crowd and I said, is there anyone else here willing to marry me for 24 hours? It turned out there was. Her name was Shavali. Shavali was the receptionist of my hostel. She'd always wanted to marry someone for 24 hours as well. She, she was just looking for the right person. And, um, and that was me. Elvis married us, and it was great. Um, we had a very awkward moment um, when he asked us to kiss, because it was the first and the, the last time that we ever touched. Um, and I only say that because I know what you're wondering. Uh, and the answer is no. So this is my first tick uh, from my list. And, and it's, you know, it doesn't change the world. It's very superficial, and I, and I get that. It's fine. But something different happened to me that day. I'd achieved lots of things. We, we all do. We all achieve things. But for me, at least, I'd never done anything that I wanted to do. It was always stuff that other people wanted me to do. In principle, I took ownership of something that I thought would make me smile. And I went through the process of getting there, and I got there. And I felt really empowered. I felt really happy. And most importantly, I was just smiling. I was just smiling. And I thought, well, if this is just one thing from my list, I'm going to keep on going. And so I have. I've been going for about nine and a half years. The story has completely changed. It's no longer about one man and his list. Um, this is about a big community, and I'll get to that. Um, it's been turned into books and TV shows and documentaries, and I get to speak. I, I don't know how, but there's something in it which I'm still learning, which is very positive, and it seems to resonate with a lot of people. I kind of feel that a, a really good way um, to get out of your comfort zone is uh, it's just to try new things, of course. I lived on the streets for a week in Sydney. Um, I wanted to read the weather on national television, so Canada invited me. Um, I uh, visited an inmate on death row. His name's James. He's still alive. Um, I became a Guinness World Record holder for the most amount of eggs crushed with the big toes in 30 seconds. <laughs> no, no, one ever, no one ever claps. Um, I, I pushed a friend of mine in a wheelchair. Um, I'll tell you more about that later. Um, and interestingly, just to give this perspective, um, this is the first person who ever approached me who was about to take their life, but chose not to because they saw something in a hundred things, which I didn't. Something about hope, something about joy, something about community, something about connection. So this story really isn't about me. I will give you a bit of context, but it's not about me. What I found is that it's about everyone. We all have goals, everyone in this room, organizations like Ivy, businesses, communities, countries, friendship circles, families, we all have goals. But more interestingly to me is that there's a whole bunch of other people on the other side who want to help people. And they can obviously be the same people, but in society, as far as I see it, there seems to be a barrier on a peer-to-peer -peer level that stops us from being able to reach out and help the person next to us. And I'm fascinated by it. This is what my story is about. 100 Things is no longer about a list. A bucket list is a term that I, I hate. It's very death-centric, things to do before you die. It's horrible. It's just a list of things that I think allow you to gain purpose. 
because we should all be living purpose-driven lifestyles from the moment we get up to the moment we sleep. I think growth is important. We all need to be growing in every single way, every day. And I think if you grow yourself, the person grows next to you just as much, that's connection, that's community, and that's, of course, why we're all here tonight. It's a bit of a community. Getting out of your comfort zone, as I said, I think is a really important thing. When you don't know what's about to happen, you get nervous. I'm nervous, I'm speaking now, I'm nervous, my hands are clammy, my heart rate's up. Some of you are laughing, it's great. Some of you aren't. I know who you are, I can see everyone. It's awkward. Um, but I like those, I like that. I don't mind it. Um, so I'll show you something which just captures this really well. Number 98 on my list was to be on a red carpet. I always wanted to be on a red carpet. Not for the fame or the notoriety, but more so I don't belong on a red carpet. I just wanted to try. So I, I, I Googled red carpet events. The first one that popped up was the Cannes Film Festival. And, uh, and, I, and I researched it. It's the biggest event in the world from a media perspective. And I thought, well, they'll have a great red carpet. So I took myself to Cannes, to the south of France, um, where something very peculiar happened. Basically, I'm trying everything at this point to try and get into the carpet. I, I made a sandwich board um, and begging for tickets. That, that didn't work. Uh, that lady's just laughing at me. Um, I had to hire a suit that cost 90 euros. Um, I bought those sunglasses that I'm wearing for like 10 euros. I wasn't wearing any socks. I was a, I was a real imposter. Um, Thousands and thousands of people, the police or the gendarmerie, I think they call them over there. Uh, and at this point of the day, I'm thinking, well, this, I, I tried to ask people out on dates who looked like they should have been there. Everyone said no. Um, and I thought, well, uh, there's only one option here, and that's to climb under the fence. So that's kind of where <laughs> I am at the moment. That's Russell Crowe, a uh, famous Australian actor. I yelled out to him. I said, Russell, it's me, Sebastian. And uh, obviously, he didn't know who I was. Um, so he didn't help, and, that's a, and I was left with no other option, and I, I did what I'm about to do here. So I'm sweating. I, I am profusely sweating. I, my heart is going just as surprised as you are that I was on the carpet at this point, didn't know what to do. Um, and, and, and so that was it. Now, in terms of the red carpet, it's obviously not important. All I wanted to do was get out of my comfort zone. I just wanted to get nervous, and I've never been that nervous before. I mean, in every single, I could feel my heart pounding against my chest, jumping under that fence and walking across. I don't know if you saw, but I, I, I pretended I had a microphone or an, an earpiece. I thought that would be important. So I just started doing this. And uh, halfway across, I thought, oh, geez, I could get like in prison. I don't know if this is legal. I don't, I don't know. And I kept on going to that final security guard who, for whatever reason, just opened up his arm and, and let me through. And I remember seeing the corner of the red carpet in front of me, and I put my right foot on there, and then I put my left foot on there, and I kept on walking, and I was on it. And in that moment, I was completely buzzing. I, I was euphoric. I was breathing so deeply. I was, in my head, the most successful man that's ever been on the planet, <laughs> which obviously isn't true, but that's how you feel. Every time you tick something, achieve something that's important to you, no matter if it's big or small, that's how you feel. And if you cast your mind back now to the last thing that you did, you know what that feeling's like. It's what keeps the world spinning. It's ambition. It's progress, it's growth, it's community. An interesting thing about this, though, is... <laughs> what's that? Uh, is what, why did it take a loss in my life for me to consider this list? And why do we hear that as a narrative in our society all the time? Somebody who... And we probably have somebody in the room, if not certainly people that we know. Somebody's been diagnosed with a terminal illness. Let's call it cancer. Somebody's been hit by a car and almost died. But if they didn't, if they didn't, and if they're lucky enough to bounce out of the hospital bed, those are the stories that we hear. 
of people getting out of hospital and climbing a mountain, or writing a book, or proposing, or saying I love you, or saying I'm sorry, or going back to school, or learning how to play the violin. Why should it take a darker moment for us to consider a lighter moment? The answer is it shouldn't. It shouldn't. It comes down to very simple principles. I speak to so many people about this who have done incredible things. And I say to them all, is it because you were brave or is it because you're lucky? And they say, no, it's because I gave myself permission. That's it. They give themselves permission to think about themselves, permission to consider their values, to consider their values, their, their principles, the things that really turn them on in life. Because as soon as you start doing that, you come up with items and things that are important to you, be it hug somebody or start a company or go back to school, and then you make a choice. You simply choose to pursue that. I think that life is just about choice. You choose to be successful. I think you choose to be unsuccessful. I think you choose to be happy. I really think that you choose to be unhappy. Because what I'm finding, certainly with my story, is that I'm entirely accountable for what I do. I'm not in the passenger seat. I'm slap bang in the driving seat. And as soon as I realized that, for me, I was in control of my life. And I still am, for now at least. I don't know where it goes from. Maybe it goes downhill. But at the moment, I'm in the driving seat, and I really enjoy that. And so if this is right, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I'm on a stage. It doesn't make me right. But if I'm right, well, the question then becomes, well, what do you want to do? What's on your list? Have you really considered that? It could be professional, personal, within the community. And we're all different. It's a very relative concept. It could be something that scares you. It could be something that challenges you. It could be financial, emotional, experiential, physical. It doesn't matter. The only thing is of importance is that you know. You know what's on your list. And if you're thinking about it right now and you, you don't know, what, why not? What could be more important? Actually, just to make this super awkward, who wants to just share a goal? Who, who in the room has a goal? What's yours? Family kids. Family kids, amazing, thank you. Just one person, yes? Touch all seven continents, awesome. To actually be able to successfully raise my three kids. Successfully raise your kids, that's all, it's great. I want to officiate a wedding. Amazing, that's, I, I did that, it took two minutes online to get the ordination, I can, yeah, it's super easy. Yes? I was going to say that, but um, the only other one was, um, is run a marathon. Run a marathon, well done. And one more, did you put your hand up? Win, win a Kentucky Derby? Yeah, to be with the, the and the oh, good. I love it. I don't know what that is, but it's great. I'm glad that's your goal. <laughs> well, what's interesting is I think all lists fundamentally are based upon your passions. Again, values. I say this a lot. Um, and this idea that it doesn't matter what's on your list, you just have to commit to it. You just have to commit to it. And this is a very bizarre example, and I'll race through this because it might put some people off, but I always wanted to deliver a baby. I just, I, I just think it's amazing, just this idea of seeing a human take its first breath. So it was on my list, and bizarre story condensed very much is that um, somebody in Canada heard about my story and offered me to deliver their child. She, she approached me via email, complete stranger, and I replied and said, yes, I'll do it. She told me where she lived, so I flew to Canada to Tara's hometown. This is Tara, uh, her hometown of Regina, which is great. And so I flew to Regina, as the capital of Saskatchewan. Um, I missed the birth. It wasn't my fault. Um, she had an emergency delivery. The baby was healthy. But I was left in this oddly named town without a baby to deliver. The news, the, the media picked up on the story. And so I was doing a lot of television around this, just accidentally. Don't know how it happened. And on one morning breakfast show, the news anchor, the male news anchor, for whatever reason, didn't particularly like me. And he, he, he said, uh, Sebastian, welcome. We saw on social media yesterday what happened. You missed the birth. My first question is, you must feel so stupid. And I remember 
being quite surprised, he's being negative. And for five minutes, he just, he did, he made me look silly. And I, I tried to be funny and it didn't work. And at the end, he said, before you go, um, now you've failed, what are you gonna do? Like a, a real challenge. And I thought, oh, I can't believe this. And again, I'm a big believer that you create your own opportunity. So I said, well, his name is Seamus. I said, well, Seamus, um, I don't think I failed. I've come to Canada to deliver a baby. I'm not gonna leave until I do that. Um, so if you don't mind, and I looked down the barrel of the camera, and, I, and this is going to a it's national news. And I said, if there's anyone watching who's, who's five centimeters dilated or more, um, email me on seb at 100things.com.au. And um, I had 10 replies within 10 minutes. Um, the first one was this lady, Carmen. She invited me to her house that night. I met her, I met her family. They embraced me and they said, we can do it. Yeah, as soon as I go into labor, you can deliver my child. And would you believe that was four hours later? And I rushed to the hospital and the, the most incredible experience of my life, probably. I got to feed her chips of ice. Um, that's her husband in the background. We, it was all very funny. And then there was 13 and a half hours of labor, um, which was pretty intense. And then at the end of this beautiful, beautiful process, there was a very healthy baby boy born who they wanted to call Oakley. Um, why do I tell this story? Yes, there's probably goal setting philosophy in there and all those things that are very cliche to speak about. But for me, it just allowed me to realize that I was doing my story, my, my list, my journey, my life, purely on the principle that people are good. People are good. I, I just believe that through and through. We all are here to connect with each other. We just don't know how occasionally. I asked them, why did you offer that to me? The most intimate thing a couple could go through. And they said, passion inspires passion. And I love that. They, they just knew I was authentic. They knew I was willing to do anything and they just wanted to help. Imagine a world where everybody is passionate about whatever it is that they do, work, personal, community, etc. That's an incredible little thought. But why shouldn't that be the case? We should all be passionate about whatever it is that we're all doing in the room and outside of the room. So anyway, this journey has gone full circle. It was absolutely always about me. Very selfish, right? Very self-indulgent. Guess what I did? I did this, and then I did this, and now I have that. That's not really, that's kind of boring after a while. Um, but what I found is that I had my oxygen mask on and somehow I found myself in a position to help others. The question I'd ask myself, what's on your list, accidentally got heard by lots of people. I didn't do this to become known. I didn't know that any of this would get turned into anything. But it somehow acted as a catalyst for other people to consider their goals. Bury a time capsule, learn Spanish, reconnect my dad, do something at the Kentucky Derby. I'm not sure still what that was, but it's beautiful. 100 Things had accidentally become a catalyst for something positive for others. It was no longer about one man and his list. It was about something bigger. I changed my website immediately. There's now a big online community of people following and, and creating their lists. But my life fundamentally changed when I met Mark. Mark saw me on TV in Australia, um, where I'm a huge deal. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and he, he said, uh, he saw me on TV, wanted to create a list of 150 things. And he said, uh, I, can you help me shave my head? It's number one on my list. So I did, I shaved Mark's head. But when I got to know Mark, I saw that we're very similar. We have goals, we're very driven, we're ambitious, etc. but Mark's a quadriplegic. Wasn't always this way. Mark, at the age of 32, was backpacking through Greece and got bitten by a tick and got Lyme's disease. That's it. Six months later, he's a quadri he can't move a muscle in his body, he can't talk, he needs a ventilator to sleep at night, he needs a 24-hour care team. It's horrible. And as I was shaving his head, though, I could see in his eyes that it was the first thing he ticked from his list. He was alive, he was happy. And on top of that, I felt amazing. I was doing something, something very small, but I was doing something for somebody else. And I'd never had done that before. And I, I loved it. 
And I said to Mark, when he had no hair afterwards, I said, what, can else, what else can I help you with? I can do more than this. And he said, well, I've always wanted to complete a half marathon. His, care, his caretaker told me that. And I said, well, how can I help? And he said to me, and it was the first two words that I ever understood, he said to me, push me. Changed my life. I hate running. I hate it. But I knew I had to do it. I wanted to do it. There's nothing on earth I wanted to do more. So I signed us up for the Melbourne Half Marathon. Um, and a few months later, after a little bit of training, the best thing I've ever done in my life happened. It was this. thing I've ever done in my life. Best thing. Why? It's probably the most powerful thing that I've spoken about, right? That probably moved you more than me doing a red carpet. I think it's because innately we all want to help people. We're all here to help each other out, but we just don't know how. And what's interesting is, is, is once I did it, I, I couldn't stop. Mark and I became very good friends. He's very cheeky. He emailed me a few days after, and I thought it would just be a thank you email, which in part it was, but he then said, I found a bike race we should enter. Um, <laughs> And we, we didn't win that. Anyway, what happened was that um, the story got out that someone had pushed a guy in a wheelchair. And I suddenly started getting approached by lots of people who needed help. And they were approaching me and saying, can you help me? And so I stopped my list. I've done 72 things, but I probably won't do any more because I just travel the world, essentially, helping as many people as I'm able to. Um, which sounds great. That was, that's what got turned into a, a show, a reality show, where I heroically go around and help people, which is rubbish. Because the truth is, I'm helping, for every one person I help, and they make it look so glorious, right? For every one person I help, there are far more who I can't help. We literally say, no, sorry, we can't help you. It's horrible. That's, a real, that's reality, not a show. So I was like, well, how do I fix that? And suddenly, all these other people who'd been following me over time said, hey, we can see that you're helping people. How can we help people? Do you know anyone? And I was like, well, wow, I'm right in the middle here of people who need help and people who can help. I just need to introduce them. So for years, I've been introducing people to manually engage in acts of kindness. But then I thought, well, what if I automate that process and create like an online tool or an app that's kind of like online dating, but for acts of kindness, you look for people to help. 
And I couldn't stop thinking about it. I have not been able to stop thinking about it for years. And so a year and a half ago, I moved to America. I left Australia. I sold everything I had, um, which sounds dramatic. I didn't have much, but sounds good. Um, and I, I found myself here. And I wasn't sure quite what to do. And this very businessy over here in LA. Everyone said, oh, we, we can give you money. Brands wanted to partner up. Um, how am I going to exit? How am I going to make money out of this? Was, was kind of what all the conversation was about. And I hated that. I hated it because they were talking about things that just weren't of interest to me. I just wanted to help people. So I thought, how do I do this? I still don't know. And then I ended up in prison. Um, did I see you there? No, <laughs> we laughed like we'd met before. No, um, I, was, I was doing a talk. I was doing a talk. I just like to try and sound edgy sometimes. I was doing a talk to a bunch of inmates. There's a program called The Last Mile. And in San Quentin Prison in San Francisco, they teach the inmates how to code. So I went in and I spoke to these guys, about 50 or 60 of them. And afterwards, four of them came up to me and they said, hey, that website you were talking, because I was just talking about it back then, that website you're talking about, we can make it. And those four guys were Harry, John, Charlie, and Aaron. And that's in prison. These are the four guys that have gone on to build my site, um, which is called Kindsome. I've called it Kindsome. Um, I don't know if you like it, but that's what it's called. And it's essentially the meeting place for human kindness. It's, it's online dating, but for acts of kindness. If you need help, you go there and just post it, whatever you need help with, non-financially. Uh, and if you want to help, you go and search by location or category, and you just connect. And some amazing things are starting to happen. But guess who the first person was who we helped? Of all the people in the world, I, I mean, there's lots of people who need help. There was one person who emailed me the, the week before, and it happened to be Mark. And Mark said to me, hey, I want to do a full marathon. What do you think? So <laughs> it's the first time I've spoken about it. So Mark put his story on Kindsome, said that he needed 15 volunteers, and 15 people volunteered. And so three weeks ago, he completed the Melbourne full marathon. And that was the first thing that Kindsome was able to do. And since then, there's been lots of really cool little stories. There's a guy, even just today, I just uh, arranged it where a guy called Keese in Bend, Oregon, uh, his eldest son committed suicide. And he'd always told his eldest son that he'd build him a treehouse, but never did. So now he wants to build a treehouse for his youngest son, but he doesn't know how to build a treehouse. So he put that story on Kindsome, and now there's about 10 volunteers who are flying up, including myself, on December 12th, I think, to go and build a treehouse. Just because people are kind. But obviously it takes bravery to ask for help, and I think that's probably more the challenge, trying to dispel this myth that it's weak to ask for help, because it's not. It's needed. Helping and connection is so important to us as people. So anyway, it's a bit of a keynote. I don't know. There's a lot of messaging in there about goal setting and trying your best and opportunity and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if there's anything I'd like to kind of leave with you, it's just this idea that, well, what's on your list? Truly, truly consider that. Because I think with consideration, that answer could really change your life or certainly enhance your life. And when you do that, I think you then have the ability to go and help other people. And it applies in a professional sense too. Know your values as a in, in your professional life. Move forward doing that and you will be better for your customers or clients, etc. But it is simply what's on your list. That's the one question I'd love to leave you with. And obviously, if you need help with anything, let me know. And if you'd like to help, go to Kindsome because there's people there who need help right now. So, uh, so thank you, I appreciate it. I think, I have no idea what time it is, but I think we've got time for questions, right? Two or three questions. Would anyone like to, yes? Why was it on your, oh, 
why would it be something that would make you happy, hence on your list of 100 things to visit someone on death row? I, I think it was, uh, so I didn't probably give that enough explanation. It was more about experiencing life in a way I hadn't before. So I think connection, meeting somebody, learning about someone else's story is really important for me. So it was, it was more that, you're right, it didn't make me happy. It was a profound experience. Um, interestingly, he's now off death row and added me as a Facebook friend recently. Not sure it's great. I'm not sure it's great. Yeah, but, um, well, I, I don't know. It's certainly not what I meant, but yeah. He's not going to be killed, which I think is good. Yes. You know, forgetting what he may or may not have done. Just still up for debate, but yeah. Thank you. Um, any other questions? I've got another two great answers in me. I just need a question. Yes, sir. Was there ever a time, sorry, I snatched that out of your hand. Uh, was there ever a time that you went to go help someone out and it backfired or they got upset or it didn't, didn't uh, work out? No, I've, I've helped a lot of people. I, I'd say on two occasions there's been people who um, they, uh, they, they accepted the help, not just from me, from other people too, and then afterwards turned really bitter. Um, and I think that's just because they kind of, um, there's this one lady who, I mean, it was an amazing story. This, this one lady was dying. She had a terminal illness. I, I, her nephew got in touch with me and, and wanted me to call her. So I called her in hospital. She told me that she wanted to go to the snow and she'd never seen snow or touch snow. Um, so I essentially organized it all for her. She didn't have long to live. And unfortunately, she passed away before the experience happened, like four days before she was meant to go. She was buried on the day she was meant to touch the snow. Um, and then I spoke to her husband and he said, well, all the, all the kind donations that people have given here um, flights, hotel, ski hire, husky drawn sleds. We'll give it to someone else who you think needs, you know, would deserve it. So I did another campaign on social media, found an old lady who'd always wanted to touch the snow. We sent her, she had an amazing time. We even found a chaperone to guide her for seven days, a complete stranger. And at the end of the experience, I said, that's fantastic. Would you mind sending me a photo so I can just tell everyone what happened? And she said, no, you're just selfish and in, for, in this for the money. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So that was the only experience. Oh, there was one other lady who wasn't so bad. But yeah, so I think people kind of react differently. Um, I, I think there's probably a lot of stuff going on in her background there. Yes? How do you finance this? And sort of part of that, you, I'm guessing you don't do this alone. There's a, probably a team of people, like when you had your red carpet video, it looked like there was someone else filming you doing that. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you built that team yeah. around you? And, and um, so there's no team. Um, there's no plan or strategy with any of this. I didn't talk about it, really. Um, so I just left with $9,000, uh, like 10 years ago, pretty much. Ran out after five months. I was staying on people's floors and, you know, it was pretty borderline, uh, you know, dodgy. That's fine. I just started to use my credit card, um, maxed that out. And then someone offered me a job in Geneva in Switzerland to learn French, which was on my list. So I went to this. I just started, like, working behind a bar, earning money, ticking things off that were free from my list, essentially. This is a very long story, but I, I got offered a blank check from a billionaire who believed in me. I said no, I didn't want his money. Um, so I was still poor, still owed a lot of money. Wait, didn't feel right. My story isn't about money. I don't think you need money to do stuff in life. No, oh, thanks. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so I felt really comfortable doing that. And then uh, I was kind of like, oh, what do I do? And then I got offered a book deal. So I wrote a book, I paid for that. I could pay off all my debt and then a little bit more. And then uh, someone asked me to talk once. Uh, for a school, and now I do probably 60 or 70 talks a year. Um, I get paid. I do them for free, 
I would do them for free. Don't tell anyone who pays me, but I would. I love it. And then, and then yeah, I don't know, from that came like a TV show. And I just, it happens randomly. There's no strategy. I don't give financial literacy classes or how to build up businesses, which everyone does. It, you know, if you go online, how to do this, how to do that, how to make money from throwing yeah, I don't do that. I just believe that by not focusing on money and just truly being authentic and following your passion, I think stuff works out. I think the world shows up for you. I don't really have one. I have an assistant. Um, like the documentary, the red carpet you mentioned, I got approached by like uh, um, Honda to do a documentary years ago. Um, and so they just filmed me ticking five things from my list, really good content for them. I didn't get paid, but I had a crew, I had a camera guy that day. Uh, and then from that Discovery Channel, wanted to do something. And then from that ESPN, wanted to do something. Um, so no, it's, it's literally just me. It's hilarious. I don't know how I've made it this far, but um, yeah, my mum's terrified. Yeah. So, but I can say that, like, you know, what, what, I can't say anything about money or strategy or structure or, you know, I can't. But what I can say is that, like, I'm, I'm very simple and I, I, I literally make decisions based on how I feel, as in I, I think it's the right thing to do, and everything comes from that. And there's an element of trust and faith in the world and people that I have, which, is, which maybe isn't commonplace, but that's what's getting me by. Yeah. So, yeah. One more? Um, you said that you weren't going to complete any more lists on your, or any more goals on your lists. Is, mm. Why is that? Well, I think we, ch it's a, again, it's a long answer, but I, I think our lists are based on values, right? And so I started this list 10 years ago. My values are very different 10 years ago as they are now, and again, in 10 years, I'll be different. So I think when I started this list, it was all about liberation and freedom and adventure and breaking the shackles and, you know, it was jumping out of a plane naked or marrying a stranger or whatever. And it, that's not me anymore. It's really not. I, like, I, I'm after connection. And, I, and I, you know, I think I've looked after myself enough. And now I'm, you know, somehow in this position where I get to help others. And that's what I care about. So Kindsome, for example, it's been in my head for six years. And I haven't actioned it until a year and a half ago, properly, by moving here and just throwing everything at it. Um, so, yeah, that's what I care about. I'd much rather help you achieve a goal than me. Yeah. So, last question. What, what's on your list? I want to win a Grammy one day. Win a Grammy. That's awesome. It's great. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs>